Welcome to the Hunts Backcountry Podcast. This is episode number 403, and I am super excited to share today's conversation with you. My guest is Jake Sines from Atomic Athlete, and he's been on the podcast actually several times before to talk about training for hunting uh, and his expertise in fitness, but that isn't at all what we're talking about today with Jake. We're actually talking about some very helpful and practical elk hunting tactics, but it, it, they aren't tactics to do with elk hunting more than they are the hunters, the hunters who are pursuing elk. And in particular, if you hunt with someone else, we talk about how to do that effectively, including some very helpful stuff on nonverbal communication that helps you be an effective hunting partnership, especially in a caller shooter scenario, when you're covering country together, how to work as a team and be effective and communicate. Um, I'm really, really excited to get this one out there because I've heard, you know, maybe some of these topics talked about a little bit, but not quite to the depth or the detail that we're going to dive into today. So I'm excited to share that with you. Before we do dive into today's episode, I wanted to remind you that right now in June of 2023, we have a special giveaway going on for you guys, the podcast listeners, and you can check it out by going to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. There you'll see a simple entry form and we're giving away a pair of Sig Sauer Zulu 6 HDX binoculars. These are image stabilizing binos that are pretty dang awesome, and I'm excited to be able to give you a chance to win them. So if you're interested in learning more or getting entered, again, just go to exomountgear.com forward slash podcast. In terms of our conversation with Jake today, we did skip some of his introduction and background because he's been on previous episodes, and I will link to those in the show description. And if you haven't heard of it, Jake also helped us develop a free training program that we give away, and it's especially helpful for guys who want to hunt in the mountains but don't live in the mountains and can't train in the mountains. And again, this program is completely free. It's something that you can go check out at exomountaingear.com forward slash train, T-R-A-I-N. And again, there will be a link to that in the show description as well. So check out those resources if you haven't already. Feel free to hit pause and do that right now. Otherwise, let's dive into this conversation with Jake. Uh, Jake, man, glad to have you back on the podcast. I don't know how many times it's been at this point, but it's been kind of a while, too long, but glad to have you back. It's great to be back, Mark. I appreciate it, man. We, uh... You know, it's, I'm sure it's probably not top of mind for you, like the training program that you put together with us, but we've consistently, guys are still downloading that thing all the time and sending us emails and people are using it and loving it. So again, I know it's been a while since you've actually worked on it, but it just continued. Thanks. Cause guys are still getting a lot of benefit out of it. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, just, just getting ready for the mountains doesn't have to be overly complex or technical or crazy. You know, you just got to do some basic exercises and build your engine and move over ground. It's that simple sometimes. Yeah. We're going to skip some of like the normal uh, introduction background who you are. I'll point people to all those previous episodes and everything else in the show description. But there was, this was also years ago, Jake, you wrote an article for us about some of the lessons you had learned over the years of hunting elk, just as a non-resident guy who gets after it. And you've had a lot of success. But one thing in the article that really stood out to me was you were talking about like some nonverbal communication stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, so that was one thing. And then we've also gotten questions kind of like how to hunt effectively in a, you know, caller shooter setup or with a hunting partner and things like that. Um, and it made me think of that article and what you talked about and some of what I knew about who, how you hunt with your buddy, uh, whose name's Wyatt, right? Yeah. Wyatt. Yeah. So you and Wyatt. Um, just stuff I've heard you say about you guys hunting and it made me, uh, want to talk to you about some of that stuff. And part of that also too, is like, you're very, uh, you have a military background, like, you know, systems and processes and strategy. So that's where we're headed, man is like hunting 
as a team, two guys, communication, effectiveness, et cetera. Some of that is verbal or at least uh, vocal, I should say. And some of it's nonverbal, non-vocal. Um, but before we dive into some of those specifics, like what's, I guess, lay the groundwork for listeners of how this type of partner dynamic and communication has made a difference or maybe a specific scenario you can think of just to kind of set the stage. Yeah, I think, I think, a, you know, a hunting partner, especially if you're a non-resident heading out West, I mean, that's a pretty complicated relationship. Uh, you're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of energy, um, you know, preparing and getting ready to go out there. And, and unlike backpacking or skiing, you know, like everyone's definition of success can be uh, pretty different. And so an ultimate form of success is, you know, you have two animals and you have two hunters go out and you both come back with, you know, antlers on top of the truck. Um, and so obviously, you know, you have two guys out there getting after it. Um, it can, their confriction can kind of come up just from like not knowing what's going on, like not communicating clearly. If one guy pushes too far forward, the caller is back there wondering what's going on, um, you know, and I guess this over the years, we've kind of had enough like situations that have occurred where it's just like, you know, like, like, dude, like, where were you? Like, what happened? Like, you know, it's like an hour and a half later, two hours later, and you finally bump into each other. And like, you know, one dude's like, well, should I sit and wait? Should I go hunt on my own? And, and so you can have these very frustrating moments, um, everything from setting up to finding an animal, to packing the animal out in the dark. And one guy gets ahead and you lose his headlamp. And, uh, and so we kind of just, each year, you know, we'd have different experiences and we started kind of putting together, it wasn't all at one time. It was like, you know, every, every time we hunt, we end up kind of putting a new system in place based on something that, you know, caused friction or frustration between us. And I think a lot of these ideas, I mean, they kind of come together over like seven years. And I mean, if you're hunting solo and you're totally like I'm mule deer archery by myself, packing the animal out, and I'm not going to have any interaction with anyone, then a lot of stuff's kind of like irrelevant, but um, it also ties into like, you know, communicating with someone back home, if you have an animal down and like, let's say you're using an outfitter or a packer. And if he doesn't have an in reach in reach for some reason, it's like, okay, Hey, well, you know, he's 25 miles away, but doesn't have an in reach, doesn't have a signal. I don't have a landline that I can call him. So now you kind of start playing this telephone game of I'm going to in reach a person in Texas and that person's going to call the outfitter. And then hopefully the outfitter is at his cabin. He's going to answer phone and then trying to coordinate like how and when you're going to meet up and it, it can just can really kind of turn into a real big communication uh, challenge. Yeah. I've definitely been there myself where it's like hunting with someone and you kind of briefly talk about something like some aspect of like, Hey, I'm going to go here, do this, or, you know, I'm going to stay here, do this, et cetera. But then <laughs> you kind of separate and then you start thinking as time goes by, like we didn't, like we said what we were kind of going to do, but we didn't actually make a plan for like the what ifs or like when specifically to be back or like just these different things. So yeah, just communication and planning is really important from just a safety and logistics perspective, but definitely, uh, and this is kind of where I want to start, like a lot of guys will be interested in just from a pure hunting perspective. So you, you know, spend some time putting an outline together, which again, thank you. It's going to make this conversation awesome, but let's start with this scenario. Cause it's something I know you guys have been through. It's something I've been through a lot. And let's say two guys, archery elk, um, kind of in the timber, you know, oftentimes you spend some time right together with your partner, but then sometimes you're going to spread out. Um, and then for this one, let's say spread out, maybe in a collar shooter setup, or maybe even still hunting, but kind of spread out a little bit where there's some line of sight between the partners. And so you can use some visual signals to kind of indicate some things. So with that being the stage, what are some of the ways that you communicate non-verbally when there is a line of sight between like you and Wyatt? Yeah, if we're running trails, we're side by side and usually just whispering each other. But as soon as we get into the trees or if we hear a bull bugle and as we start to kind of approach, you're like, hey, we're pretty close. Then usually we're staggered out. And that that can be, you know, 15, 20, up to 40 or 50 yards, depending on like what what the terrain's like. You know, if it's dense, we're a little closer. If it's pretty wide open, we're pretty far. So that that collar can drop out of sight. 
and and kind of draw the animal in. So uh, the best thing I can think of, which any young man probably has seen, is like I think it's the scene in like Predator when like Arnold like holds up his hand, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And so and, and we did use you know hand and arm signals in the military, like in certain schools, and if you were patrolling, but. Um, I mean, the big thing is once you're spread out, the guy up front obviously is going to have a better line of sight and he's probably going to see the animal um, before the guy in the back would. And so typically a couple of things we point out like, hey, what do we see um, species of animal? You know, so, yeah, you know, where we hunt, typically it's going to be um, mule deer, elk or like a, a moo cow or a beef cow, you know, cattle. And uh, so typically what you're going to do is you're going to say, hey, I see this species. And we also throw the gender on there. So cow, bu- uh, cow bull, uh, doe buck, uh, how many we see, uh, distance and direction, and then what to do. You know, so if, obviously if you're hunting bulls and you see a cow, you know, we might not set up for the cow. We might just sit and watch. Um, if you see a mule deer, you're just going to kind of continue on. But like, say, for example, if we saw a bull, then we'd be like, hey, like, let's let's set up or if the bull was walking away, like, Hey, let's bump up 20 yards. And then you sit behind this and now move forward. So, uh, as a team now we're able to, we're able to pretty much talk now just with basic hand and arm signals. Um, and it makes things really easy versus, you know, like trying to read each other's lips. I'm sure everyone's done that at some point when you look at your buddy and you're like, I'm going to go over here 20 yards and you, yeah. you just start po- pointing and moving your mouth. And then your partner looks at you and puts his hands in the air. Like, I have no clue what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, hand and arm signals for that stuff, like right off the bat, is going to help. So, obviously, this is a, a podcast. We can't see anything. So, we can't show hand and arm signals. But, like, for those big ones you mentioned, let's start with just species. Like, how can you describe how you guys kind of visually signal between like elk and deer, for example, or even, as you said, like in the areas you've hunted some, there's like cattle or moo cows. So, can you kind of describe what the differences are there? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, usually the first thing like we always do typically do is like, I point to myself, like I, you know, I then point to my eyes, C, and then I'll say like, put up two fingers for two. And then I'll do, you know, for a cow, we just put our hand on our head flat. And then for a a bull, we open our hand, like kind of like five fingers spread out and put it along the side of our head. So it looks like antlers. Mm -hmm. Um, if so, that's pretty much standard for elk because we're always hunting elk. Typically we're not much, you know, we don't hunt mule deer very often. If we see a mule deer, then we'll do kind of like a little, like a little bouncing symbol with our hand, like a a rabbit's kind of bouncing. Yeah. Like it's bounding, you know, cause I mean, it's a very, obviously only one animal besides a rabbit does that in the backcountry. <laughs> um, so we'll do like a bounding, you know, and then say it's a buck or just, we, we enjoy knowing what's happening. Cause you, a lot of times the person in the back, especially if you spook something, you'll hear like mm-hmm. some crashing. And so you're immediately like, what was that? You know, or you hear a stick break, you know, and sometimes in some of these wilderness areas, I mean, there's cattle back there, you know, so the guy in back might hear, you know, something break or see some brush moving. And the guy front's just like, Hey, no, nah, that's like, that's like a moo cow, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of other things too, like typically for like distance and direction, you know, we'll just hold up our fingers, you know, like five zero with one hand and then point to the direction. So like, Hey, it's 50 yards this way. Um, what to do, how to set up, you know, you can have different signals for like, Hey, let's sit. Or if like uh, a common thing we have is like wind, like, so we'll kind of hold our palm in front of us and blow on our palm. And so mm-hmm. like the, the wind, the wind might be wrong. And then, so like, I'll say like, you know, wind, and then I'll push, you know, downwind to like kind of circle around. And that's going to depend on where the animal is, right? It's not always going to be like at your 12 o'clock, you might be walking, you know, wind might be bone left to right. And then you see an animal off to like the two or three o'clock position. Like you can't just go straight towards them. You know, you're going to have to kind of hard right and kind of get back on the same, not elevation, but to where it's a good crosswind and then coming in on there. So we have terms for I, you, see, hear, smell, listen, obviously number of animals, just hold your fingers up, different symbol for, you know, species and sex. Um, Distance is typically just holding up the number of yards or meters. Directions just simply pointing. Um, We use distance and direction a lot whenever we hear a bugle. So we'll hear a bugle and, you know, if we're like 10, 15 yards apart, then I'll say like, you know, I think it's 300 yards. So I'll go three, zero, zero, and I'll point to it. And then I'll usually look at Wyatt. He'll shake his head. And he'll go <laughs> and he'll go like, you know, two, zero, zero and point like a different direction. Yeah. And so 
So typically we end up like meeting in the middle. So it's like, okay, well, let's just say, let's say 250 and we'll meet in the middle and we'll start heading that way. <laughs> um, move is another one. Like, like, Hey, uh, telling your partner, like, Hey, I want you to move there or I'm going to move there. Um, sometimes just sit tight. Like if the wind is swirling, you know, we'll just kind of like mimic, like taking our pack off and like point to the ground. And so we'll just basically sit down and just wait and listen, let the wind stabilize. Um, breaking and rubbing is one. If you're moving through like heavy timber, you know, we'll point and then just like kind of hold our, I guess, is it UT maybe like yeah, the pinky and the index finger out like two horns. Mm-hmm. And then we just got rub, rub it up and down like to in, in, imitate, Hey, I see a big rub or I see a bull and he's like, you know, rubbing right then. Mm-hmm. And then the, I guess the last one would be like call. Like, so we kind of like open and close our hands kind of like you're talking about someone who talks too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be that would be call and then just kind of pointing our hand to our mouth and then kind of like broadcasting out in front of us would be like bugle and so those i think if you have if you, have, you don't have to use our symbols obviously you can use whatever you want but like pretty much if you're working a two-person team and you're moving through the timber then you having like a hand and arm signal for those things you can communicate pretty clearly with your partner and never have to do like the hey come here and then whisper in each other's ear kind of thing yeah Dude, that's all super helpful. And I think the symbols you described, because uh, we, you know, I've, I will say in my experience, I've hunted with different people. And so I don't have, like, I have my one buddy, Jared, we've hunted together quite a few years, uh, more like you and Wyatt, but then I've also been in situations hunting with different people that I don't know as well at times. And so then it's very much like on the fly of trying to communicate something, but yeah, it, mm-hmm. it definitely gets much more lost when you don't have a relationship or experience with them. But like even symbols, like you said, with the wind of kind of like holding your hand and blowing out, mm-hmm. like that's a perfect one. I wouldn't have thought of that for wind, but I think if, even if you're hunting with someone you don't know or haven't like made this protocol with, like that's going to be pretty easy to communicate like, Hey, blowing wind. Like, so that's a, that's just a perfect example that stood out to me of a good symbol. Yeah. And they're all, I mean, like if, even if me and you were together and you've never seen these, like if you just looked at me and watched me and I was kind of going through them, you probably could figure it out, you know, because yeah. it's like if I point to myself, obviously I'm saying me or I, I point mm-hmm. to you, you, you know, and then have two fingers kind of like the little, what's the little creepy hand on the Adams family, you know, like, yeah, is that, yeah, so it? I, is that it? it? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if I pointed, if I pointed to you and I did the little it creepy walk and then hold up like three zero and point, that means like, Hey, I want you to walk 30 yards that way and then call and do the calling symbol, you know? Um, so any, anyone could probably figure that out. And I think it's just going to make things really easy for partners instead of having to always link up and go verbal. Yeah. And you said, so call you kind of like the talking hand, if you will, of the person who talks too much, yep. that's more of like a, a cow or a mew for elk hunting yeah. versus like yeah. a bugle. You do something up towards your mouth, you said, and then broadcast. Yeah. I just kind of like hold it by your mouth and like, you know, it's kind of like pinched together by your lip and then just open it as you go out. Like, kind of like you're, you know, pushing a sound out your mouth. Yeah. Um, okay. and, and obviously that's going to be like, if we're bugling just randomly, I mean, it's going to be like a locator bugle from a trail or a ridge. And so typically we're not like, you know, in super close. Mm-hmm. Um, usually it's going to be like start with cow calls and depending on what time of season it is, you may try to challenge the bull or whatever. Yeah. And as you said before, like to not skip over this, but depending on how the train's laid out and how you're structured in terms of your separation movement, this guy kind of in the quote unquote front or the lead really is kind of at least beginning to drive the situation. Absolutely. I mean, the guy in the back is kind of like, I mean, I would argue the guy in the back is more important because he's the one drawing the elk in, but like the guy in front's calling the shots, you know, it's like, he's going to be the one most likely who sees the animal, how many, where they're at. And so he's going to ideally guide the caller in a position that will, you know, put him in the best place possible. You know, it's like, why, why, why have both people move? when you can just swing the back end of the team around and then now create that kind of like linear feature where it's like, okay, hey, now all three of us are in line. I can offset for wind or for the arc, you know, and then now we can just draw that animal right into where we want versus like, Hey, both of us got to push a hundred meters, you know, down this hill or whatever it may be. So uh, I, I would definitely say the person in front, he's calling the shots. And and that kind of be like, if you spend a whole day in back and you're like in really elky terrain, I mean, you spend a whole lot of time not seeing elk and doing a lot of work. You know, you're you're, you're back there. You're like, 
picking up big sticks and you're trying to like rake and your hands are getting all cut up and you're yep. like stomping around trying to mimic the sound of elk. And then you're like, you know, calling incessantly sometimes. Um, you know, we don't do like the, the one, two, three, you know, bulls. We, we try to sound like elk. And so um, we're actually calling pretty intensely for a good amount of time sometimes. And, you know, after like 45 minutes, you're like, dude, what's going on up there? <laughs> you know? yeah. And especially, especially if you do, you know, three or four setups in a morning, and, you know, it just, it's nice to have a situation where like, Hey, I can't see, well, I guess it kind of folds into the next kind of aspect of this is, Hey, now we are set up. What's going on up there? Like yep. communicate with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So very logical progression. So you guys are hunting together. Let's say the guy in the lead spots a bull or some elk, and he wants to stay kind of in or near his current position, but send the caller back. And as we just talked about with these nonverbal cues, like you can say, you, the caller, go back this direction, 30 yards, and then you have your signals to call, what have you. So yeah, now you are like, that's just one of many scenarios that could play out, but now you are split apart. You have a caller and a shooter and can't see each other. And in mm -hmm. my experience, this has been one of the most areas of like wondering and frustration and like what the heck is going on and whether you're the shooter or the caller, uh, it's just difficult. It's a difficult situation, um, even more so. So now we're in this situation where we're separate. There's some sort of encounter or strategy, which we've hopefully communicated a little bit non-verbally, but now all that communication visually is lost. So yeah, this leads us into now caller shooter out of sight. How can you communicate and what are some of the, the strategies that you guys have used? Yeah. Well, I imagine anyone who, anyone who calls and spends time practicing, uh, you can tell the sounds pretty clearly apart, like uh, a diaphragm and external read. And then the hoochie mama There's obviously like random calls, like little box calls and whatnot. So typically you can tell the difference of those. Um, and like, to me, the hoochie mama is a very obvious, obvious sound. And so we, we typically keep that in our cargo pocket and we use that more for talking back and forth to each other. Than like actually trying to call in a bull. Um, and sometimes we'll throw it in there, like in a sequence, you know, like external read, external read, and then hit it in your pocket, that little kind of mew, but like, it's a very clear, consistent sound. And so we use that to kind of talk back and forth. So for example, if you're the caller up front, I'm sorry, the shooter up front and the elk just wandered away, or you did a setup for a while and you're like, Hey, I'm not feeling this. It's probably not going to happen. Um, you can just hit the hoochie mama twice, just, you know, you know, and that means stop calling. And then the guy back behind who's actually calling, he'll confirm with two muse and then you link up, you know, it's, it's like that simple. Um, if the guy in the back, the caller, he's like, Hey, I'm 45 minutes in, like what's going on up there. He throws out two muse to be like, hey, should I stop calling? And if he does not hear a response, then it means like, hey, there's probably elk still up there. That shooter does not want to give away his position. He wants me to keep calling. And I mean, there's a couple of different situations. It could be like, hey, like uh, the elk move or I'm not close enough. I want to shift my setup. You can you know, come up with some kind of sequence or you could use like a little squeal from a, a bugle. Like, hey, I'm moving forward. Um, you could say another thing would be like, Hey, all the animals are continuing to move, come to me. So that will save, that'll save the shooter from having to like jog back to the caller, you know, who knows 30, 40, 50 yards, you know, have the caller put his pack on and then try to catch back up to that group of elk moving. You could just do something like three mews, you know, pop, 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 like back to back that lets that caller know like, Hey, like he wants to move. I need to come to him. Um, and then I guess the final one that we've used is a, a shot taken you know uh, oftentimes as a caller like you'll be back there the shooter takes a shot all of a sudden you hear all this crashing you're like oh my god what was that did he spook or did he take a shot and so one thing that's helped is basically like once that shot's taken the shooter will you know be watching the animal and he'll just start hitting that hoochie mama kind of repetitively you know four or five six times and then it's like hey like i know my guy just took a shot i can grab my pack put my calls away move up to him and then we can kind of start getting set up to like trail the animal and talk about what happened. So those, those, those come in, I would say probably more handy um, than the hand and arm signals. Cause the hand and arm signals, typically you're going to be close enough where you can just be like, Hey, hold up and walk up and whisper. 
um, once you're separated and like you, you don't know, like the, the caller doesn't know, like, hey, are there elk up there? Like, is he looking at like two or three nice bulls that are feeding, but just not interested in coming in? And the last thing you want to do is just be like, well, I'm, I'm going to move up, you know, and you grab your pack and you stand up and you walk forward and then you bump those bulls. And then now the shooter's all pissed off. It's like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, why'd you come up here? You know, and which has happened to us before as well. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good, man. So just to recap quick, at least again, I'm not, we're, we're not saying this is the prescription, but just to kind of recap some of what you mentioned, you guys do. So stop calling two muse. And then I like, you know, there's this dynamic where potentially either of these could be triggered by the caller or the shooter. So yep. there's kind of like, hey, here's the signal or here's the instruction. And then there's the confirmation, right? So yeah, if the shooter's up front, wants the caller to stop calling, the shooter's hitting two muse, the caller's confirming with two muse. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. In a situation opposite of that, like let's say the shooter or sorry, the caller isn't hearing anything. It's been a while. Wonder if he should keeps go if he should keep going, what have you, like what's happening. It's been, like you said, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Essentially the caller's doing the two muse. And then the shooter can either confirm, like, yeah, let's stop, the gig's up, the setup's done, or there's no response from the shooter. And that indicates to the caller, no oh, man, something's still happening. Like, let's keep this going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just a, the, the, that stuff's so simple, but yeah, it could be so stinking helpful for sure. Cause I've, I've been in those situations like, what is going on? What should I do? I don't want to move up and blow this, but is anything happening? Yeah. And well, oftentimes too, like, whenever, so we do hit the, the two, two, like, let's say, you know, the, the caller like hits a two shooters, like two. So the shooter will pick up his pack and it's like, okay, I'm going to work back. You know, maybe I bumped an animal, whatever, uh, work back to the caller. And then it's surprising how hard it is to find your partner sometimes in heavy timber, mm-hmm. um, especially during archery season, there's no orange. And so a lot of times we'll be walking and, you know, you're looking around, you're like, well, where, where did he set up exactly? You know, cause you know, a lot of times they'll move over a terrain feature. So, you know, that the elk comes in, they can't see him and just hitting that, you know, hoochie mama once that, Ew, you know, and then that's kind of like, Hey, where are you? You know, and then that other person can just respond with a single one as well. And then we kind of walk each other in to find each other that way. And it makes it a lot easier than like, you know, standing, standing in the timber, looking left, looking right, or like mm-hmm. whistling or something like that. We try to, we try to keep the sounds like natural sounds, but we, we use, I would say very generic sounds. So, you know, so you're not going to go into like a, an estrus mew or something like that to like, you know, yeah. locate your buddy. You're just going to hit that squeaker in your pocket. And then he's going to be like, okay, he's trying to find me and he'll just respond with one more. Yeah. I love that when it's like, you're pretty much only using that hoochie mama or as you said, the communication between you two, not necessarily between elk. That's helpful. Cause I've, we've done similar things in the past, but often are using, it's like we're already, we're using a read and we try to make it more generic or have a different sound, but it's not necessarily as distinct as something like, Oh, the hoochie mamas to talk to each other, not to elk. It's that's yeah, a good thought. Yeah. Well, it's great too. Cause I mean, like <laughs> it's funny. Uh, uh, I bumped into one guy one time. It was like, I was like, well, what would you call him anyway? He's like, I just hit that squeaky thing. <laughs> wow. Like, good on, you, good on you, bro. It's awesome. Uh, but yeah, we usually, uh, it's also a good backup call, you know, like, you know, you yeah. can drop your diaphragms, you know, you can lose your external read and, uh, and then having that hoochie mama in your pocket's just great. Cause it's like, you know, it's, it's also like, Hey, I want to get my partner's attention. Just hit it once. And he's going to turn around and look at you, you know? Yeah, for sure. So another situation uh, is just, splitting up and maybe that's like splitting up of hey we're gonna we're gonna cover different ground this evening or do separate evening hunts like maybe one guy's sitting a wallow and another guy's you know out glassing a different hillside or what have you um so first of all before kind of i think the communication of rallying back together there's just it's worth obviously making a plan right so talk a little bit about situations where maybe you and wyatt have split up but just again i know it's should be basic but like how do you construct a plan for like all right we're splitting ways kind of doing our own thing for a bit like what's the plan or any sort of contingencies as well yeah i think this was i remember we was talking to tim he's one of the you know, he's an sf guy and he's uh one of the instructors in the forge that backcountry trip and we were talking about like hey what is that contingency plan call because i've been out of the military a long time so i forgot but i think it was got was like going others uh time 
uh, what to do if I don't return or what to do then like actions if I don't return. And so as an acronym in the military is basically like anytime you leave, it's like, hey man, like this is what's going to happen. So that same kind of idea is good to use if you and your partners decide like, hey, we're going to like split up. And most likely you're not going to be going miles. It's like, hey, uh, there's a wallow over here and then there's a nice trail intersection over here. So you can go sit this wallow middle of the day. Nothing's talking. Uh, I'll go sit the trail intersection. So you might be a couple hundred yards apart to where the the muse and the, the thing we were talking about earlier with the calling or the setup don't really apply. Um, and this this exact situation happened. And, uh, and we had a very frustrating moment afterwards because, you know, my hunting partner ended up shooting a bull and then uh, I heard him bugle, but we, we got our number of bugles mixed up. And, uh, so I went back to last known location and waited for him. And, you know, he came up two hours later with a hindquarter, very hot that I was not, you know, where he was because I had, (laughs) I had the kill kit. I had like the nice knife in there. He just had his pocket knife with him. And so it ended up being a pretty funny situation. He just rolls up pissed off and I'm like reading Lord of the Rings against a tree. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he was like, where have you been? You know, you didn't hear my police whistle and all this. I go, you were blowing a whistle. Like I definitely didn't hear that, but that was just us like not having a concrete. Like I think he bugled three times and I thought three was to, you know, go back to last known location when it was supposed to be, you know, three was come to him in that situation. And so yeah, a little, little bit of frustration. I mean, it was it ended up being great because we killed the bull, but it was at the same time, like when he came up on that Ridge, he was pretty hot <laughs> at me. So uh, yeah, having, uh, we found that like the, the little rescue whistles you keep like in your kind of, you know, little just in case bag, you can't really hear those very well in the, in the timber. Surprisingly. Um, he said he was blowing as loud as he could. I mean, he's probably only, I don't know, maybe 253, you know, yards away, never heard it once. Um, uh-huh. But I did, I did hear the initial bugles that he sent. And that was what kind of caused me to get up and move back to our last known point. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, at that point, I was like, I don't even know if I need to carry a whistle in my kit anymore. Cause I was really surprised how we couldn't hear it. Uh, the bugles do seem to um, carry pretty well. Uh, I was one time on the forge, that backcountry trip we lead, you know, we kind of misplaced someone. So I was like, Hey, I'm going to run up, see if they're there. Uh, if they're not there, I'm going to shoot my pistol off twice. And this is not during hunting season. This is like, you know, kind of a remote area in the summertime. And, uh, I did shoot my pistol twice and no one heard it, you know, and they, they were not that far away. So I was kind of surprised how even a, a pistol can not really send a good, you know, audible signal over distance. So yeah, usually if you split up, if you don't have radios, uh, radios are great. Um, but using bugles, you know, either two like locators back to back. Once again, keep them very, you know, simple and generic. So the person who's on the receiving end knows, hey, he's talking to me. He's not just throwing out like a, a, a random bugle to see if any bulls are in the area. He's going to do like two very consistent, very similar, just locators right back to back. So it doesn't sound out of place in the woods, so to say, but it's obvious to the person who's on the receiving end, like, hey, he's trying to communicate with me. So whether it's like come to me or go to the last known location or, hey, I'm coming to you, um, two, three, four bugles, whatever you guys decide on is, is a pretty good option to communicate over longer distances to kind of create a meetup. Yeah, that's good. It is surprising to think of, yeah, a whistle to me. What? where my head goes with the whistle is I think some people are going to be more attuned to that frequency and some aren't like some people Mm -hmm. are going to be more prone to hear it and some aren't, but yeah, for sure. Just in timber in general, it is like not hearing a pistol, not hearing a whistle. It's surprising, which goes back to, I think part of the thing. So the, the group dynamic of when there's a bugle and just trying to predict location and direction and distance it's like it's just terrain plays with sound so weird man yeah i mean it's it's hilarious sometimes it'll be like i'll point to three o'clock and he'll point to nine o'clock and i'm just like bro like are we do we hear the same bugle yeah (laughs) yeah and uh yeah so we always sometimes we'll just sit and wait if we can't really pinpoint if we're if we're just a couple you know for like a 45 or 90 degree difference between the two, then typically we're like, Hey, we're just going to cut it in the middle and we're going to move. And like, as we get closer, hopefully they'll, they'll bugle again and we can dial it in. But yeah, sometimes it's like, Hey, we just got to sit and listen. We don't, we don't know where that came from. Yeah. I've been in uh like group hunts with multiple guys before with bugles. And what's really fun is to do like, uh, put your hand out flat and then like your fist, like you're counting down like rock, paper, scissors. 
Mm-hmm. So you do like the signal of like one, two, three, and then everybody picks a direction like after that. <laughs> yeah, dude, yeah. it's so funny. Like there's arms everywhere sometimes. Yeah. On communication, like you had some other stuff just in general, I think is good to keep in mind, like flagging and, um, you know, signaling over distance through optics. And you kind of mentioned radios in there. So these are like less specific maybe to, um, you know, this elk hunting scenario but can you just kind of run down some of the other stuff that you guys have thought through and whether that's based on your hunting experience or kind of the military side that just have to do with communication in general yeah i guess so you know we've had like nine of those backcountry navigation trips that we've run and we've i don't want to say lost but we've misplaced people twice (laughs) i noticed they said that earlier i I like that term we've misplaced someone yeah which basically (laughs) just means it just means that like hey we have a we have a person who is in our group, but we have no clue where they're at. <laughs> and and, and mind you, the whole the whole purpose of the class is navigation. So you know, usually at this point, when we start doing like individual movement or two 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 person movement, um, they're pretty versed up. They have Gaia running on their phone, so I mean, they they know how to get where they're going. But typically, what happens is there's a breakdown in communication in regards to like the desired outcome, and so. It would just basically be like, well, I don't know where so-and-so is. And so one of the things that we kind of brought on was we started using these little, I think they're like Midland GXT 1000s. They're like, you know, basic walkie talkies, uh, GMRS radios that you can, you can get them on Amazon, like three for a hundred bucks. They work great. They work way better than you would think they would. Um, I think a lot of people, when they go into radios, they expect the radio almost to perform like a cell phone where it's like, you know, cause all of them have like a rating on how far they can go. But those ratings are typically like from the top of a mountain down into a valley with no obstructions. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're talking like, Hey, uh, we're, you know, within a half mile of each other and there's not a terrain feature between us, like a radio becomes really, really handy, especially if you're hunting, because you can't just yell when you're out in the back country, or, or I would not suggest yelling. Um, if you're actually hunting, but the radios have become very handy. Uh, we, now I carry them hunting. I, I used them this last year on a hunt and, uh, we basically just use them at the end to walk in on an animal that was down. Uh, it was, you know, a, an elk that was shot like right before dark. Um, I knew by the time we got on the animal would be dark and there was a major feature between us. And I was like, man, we can't go straight at it. We're going to have to do like a loop out and around. And so it, it, in that situation, what I did was I just stood exactly where the shooter had stood. It was a buddy who was the shooter. And I just stared at the location, like just didn't move. I just stared at the location and I was like, Hey, you guys drop down to the trail circle around. Like I'll walk you in, you know, by watching your headlamp. And, uh, and obviously it got dark. So I couldn't see that little pocket meadow anymore but I was able to walk them in because I had my eyes just fixed in that location. I just be like, Hey, you know, shift to your left a little bit. You're about 300 yards out. And, and I was able to walk them right into that animal versus, you know, both, both, you know, all members of the team going down then coming up. And then you're like, wait, no, it was over here. No, it was over here. No, it was over there. And, you know, and, and oftentimes if something like that happens, we're going to mark it with a pen. We're going to like, you know, get a range finder, shoot the distance to where like the animal was shot say 400 yards. Okay. Then pull out your you know GPS or your phone software. Be like, okay. 400 yards away. This is the direction. The pin should be fairly accurate. Um, but uh, it's a lot easier just having someone walk you directly into target, especially if you're pushing through heavy, heavy timber through brush. So that is a, I guess a, a technology version of it. Um, I think all of us have probably heard of people stalking mule deer and like the mule deer buck is bedded and uh, you have one person up on the hill with like binoculars, he's watching the buck. And then you look back and basically like that person can kind of guide you in to like, Hey, like this is where the animal's at. Um, having that, like someone back there on optics and then some way to communicate to the person who's down below either hunting or trying to find the animal is extremely important. I think, um, cause the last thing you want to do is get down there and then be like, okay, I don't even know where my you know spotter in a, in a military situation, it'd be like a, a spotter and shooter kind of thing. But that has proven to be very useful. And, uh, if you are going to be doing something like that, either one person watching one person splitting up, moving on animal, or if there's a downed animal, you know, use that technology. If you're allowed to the range finder, the radios, I think radios are like it depends on what state you're in on how you mm-hmm. can use them. Um, so always check local regulations. Um, 
And that has been, now I carry a radio with me all the time. Like even in archery hunts, it can be like, Hey man, if we get split up, turn your radio on at the top of the hour. All right. And try to get a hold of each other for five minutes. We don't get a hold of each other, or maybe you're breaking down an animal. I don't know. Um, we'll try the next hour and then try the next hour. And it's like, if I don't hear from you for this, by this time, like I'm going back to camp, you know? And so just having that like plan, cause you will get split up. I mean, like some guys, sometimes we've had multiple bulls bugling one's off to the right one's off to the left, you know, now like that guy who was originally a caller was calling that bull. And now he's like transitioning into a, a solo hunter. He's going to, you know, do a 180. You know, and now he's going to be calling for the other guy and also trying to call a bull into him. I mean, that just that just happens sometimes. They come in from different sides. So uh, we've definitely been split up plenty of times in the backcountry. And then it's kind of like all of a sudden you look around, you're like, oh, where's my partner at? Like, should I go back to camp? Should I like go look for him? Should I just continue to hunt solo? So having that like contingency plan is pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. Like what you said there of like, I mean, you're not keeping these radios on all the time and it's not open communication this isn't you know a phone call or a text thread this is like hey here's a plan to check in during these windows and yeah there's a good chance we miss a window so then there's a follow-up window and then as you said if if by you know so many windows or x time like here's the plan of just where to get back to in general if we don't reach each other so those details are all important again some guys would just go I have a radio, you have a radio, we'll go our separate ways. But if you don't have a plan for how to use that, how to communicate and what contingencies are going to happen when you can't communicate, your radios aren't very helpful. Yeah. You're just going to end up roasting your batteries, you know? So it's like, okay, well, technically I guess you could schlep in four double A's for every day you're going to hunt, but it's just like, like why just turn the radio off, leave it off. If you decide to split up or if you just end up being split up, be like, Hey, comms window, you know, 1300. Um, keep it on for five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. You know, you don't hear anything, turn it back off, try again, you know, one hour later, two hours later, three hours later, and just kind of have that, have that plan set up to where it's like, okay, Hey, like now if I'm at camp and it's like 8 PM and my partner is not there and it's like, okay, something's going on. Like he could be hurt, you know, hopefully he's not lost. Um, but like also the, the guy who, let's just say someone shot an animal, you have to understand like, yeah, you're breaking down that animal, but you also have that time frame that you need to meet someone. Right. So, cause you're like, Hey, if I'm not at camp by 8 PM, my partner is going to think something's wrong and he's going to like shift into like, okay, now I'm going to go look for him. Or maybe I'm going to, you know, call for help or something like that. So, uh, you know, after three or four hours, like, I mean, the animal should be broken down. You should be able to have it hanging by then, but do your best to actually follow through with that plan and actually be where you need to be. So that way, those red flags don't get, you know, pulled up and, you know, he starts a sequence of events that's hard to stop. Cool. Good stuff, man. Anything, I feel like we've covered that really well. Anything else on communication that comes to mind? Uh, yeah, I would say, um, communication, uh, with someone who's not hunting is pretty big. Like, uh, we don't use guides, but we have used packers, um, pretty often. And the thing is, uh, those guys know the area really well. They know their animals really well, uh, but most of them don't know how to read a map. Uh, I don't know how many times I've been like looking at a map and asking a question like, Hey, wait, where's this at? Where's that at? You know, and they point to it and what they're pointing at is not what they're actually saying. So <laughs> I, and I, I think, I think, and there's no knock on them. I mean, if you've never taken a formal map reading class, then you might, you probably just don't know how. And most guys nowadays are, you know, using Onyx or, or Gohan or Gaia. And so you're basically just kind of following your little icon. But um, it's happened to us multiple times trying to get an animal out. It's like, hey, we will meet you here. And that's not where they show up, you know. So I think you need to make sure that if you are going to use some some type of external help, outside help, whether it's a buddy helping pack an animal, uh, an outfitter, um, you need to use very clear and concise landmarks and you need to make sure you're talking the same language because, you know, all those trails have trail names and trail numbers, depending on what map you use. Uh, pick like really, really obvious features. Um, we've t- we've had times before where we're going to meet in a the split of this trail and this trail. Well, there was two splits, you know, so we're sitting at one trail intersection, bulls hanging, you know, the packer sitting at another trail intersection that, you know, wasn't on the map, but he knew about it. And three, four hours go by. And it was just like, total, and at that point, you know, he didn't have an inreach in the back country. We had no way of communicating with him. I mean, we're like 10, 12 miles back. And it's like, well, now what's going to happen? My bull is going to have to spend an entire day hanging. Like this guy might try to charge me, 
you know, charged me twice to pack out one bowl because we didn't meet up correctly. So um, if for some reason, I mean, even if your packer does have an in reach, you know, those things don't communicate back and forth, you know, super consistently. It's kind of like a, a lull that'll happen. Sometimes you get it within five minutes. Sometimes you get it three or four hours later, but having that, like, you know, same kind of plan, this is where I'm going to be. This is where we're going to meet. Even if it requires you to, you know, walk him in on target two or three extra miles, like, Hey, there's no way he can mess this up. You know, we're going to meet at this bridge over this river at this time. And I'm going to take you to my animal. So that way there's no confusion in the back country, especially if he doesn't have a radio, if he doesn't have an in reach, it can be extremely frustrating. And that's happened think two or three times to us hunting i was i pulled up that article i mentioned uh up front that you wrote for us and it was dang jake it was almost five years ago it's crazy yeah yeah that was i think that was kind of a pretty pivotal pivotal year where it was like a lot of things that because i mean everyone's gonna everyone's gonna you know elk 101 and listen to the podcasts and yeah and but then sometimes like you go back there and you're like well that's the exact opposite of what <laughs> Yeah. you know so and so said and you know and just kind of you know i think time out there is really going to make a big difference in understanding that you know, you know when you're hunting wild animals in in the wilderness you know things don't always go according to plan yeah yeah so that article is like eight elk hunting lessons learned the hard way um you know as i as i said part of that part of today's conversation may think of it because one of your points was be able to use nonverbal communication uh, and we talked about that we talked about always being ready for a shot, uh, to hunt all day, to always carry essential gear, uh, that sound doesn't travel as far as you think, which we also talked a bit about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then don't expect elk to do something because they did it before. Um, and then you talked a little bit about, you know, after, after success, like have a pack out plan and stick to it. Uh, and then get meat in the bag as soon as possible. So, and for all those, you have scenarios. It's a, it's a cool article. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun how, you, you know, sometimes the, the things that have the most friction or the most frustrating are the ones you remember really well, you know, it's yeah. like, remember that one time, you know, and like, and that's kind of the fun of hunting in the back country is, you know, you, things aren't going to always go smooth, but, you know, and sometimes like you guys know, like death hikes, uh, hard hunts, hard workouts, like those frustrating and physically demanding events can oftentimes be the most memorable, but we just got to make sure you, you learn from them as well. And if you, you know, no one wants to get broken off and by, but you know, it's like, it's, it's fun yeah. story after the words, but like, if you said like, Hey, how about we overload our packs and get lost in the heavy timber at like midnight? It's like, no, nah, no one wants to do that. You know? <laughs> so I think you need to, yeah, you know, en enjoy the experience after the fact and then plan to, you know, ideally not have to do it again. Yeah. So all those lessons are like, you know, still relevant, of course, five years later. If I had to ask, like, is there anything else that comes to mind in the handful of years since the article of like a different lesson you've learned, whether it's the hard way or just in general? Um, you know, is there anything I put it this way from like the last four or five years that's been another big learning lesson for you, whether it re reinforces one of these same points or it's something kind of new? I think the biggest one I learned this last year, you know, we hunted Wyoming for like 21 days and we, we both passed bulls on day one and day two. And, uh, because this, all, all signs were very indicative that there were elk everywhere and that we were going to kill two nice mature bulls. And so I passed a five point on day two and, uh, and then, and then it got hard. And then it was, I think we shot a small bull on day 11. Pie was one of the same bulls that we passed if I had to guess. Um, but then yeah, 20 days later, we still only had one elk on the ground. So I think, you know, with social media and Instagram and people posting these animals online, that if you're just a non-resident going out to Colorado, even if you're experienced, like I mean, I would say I'm a decently experienced now. Um, I would have been more than happy looking back upon that bull to like have brought him home than uh come home empty-handed. So that was the first time I'd ever passed uh um, I would say a mature bull, a five-pointer bigger. And I definitely regret it and I definitely won't do it again. So uh, I'd say understand that the success rates are really low. Public land uh, hunting is challenging for a non-resident and you've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy to get out there. If you have an opportunity, take it. Yep. On top of everything you said, it's just elk hunting can change overnight, right? Like you can 
you know, be fortunate enough to start your trip like those first two days. And it's like, as you said, like all signs point to this being amazing elk or vocal or having encounters, whatever, but it can change like that and essentially dry up. And then you spend a week like going, did these elk get abducted by aliens overnight or like what happened? So man, it was, they they were not buying what we were selling. It was the (laughs) most oddest thing. I, I just, I didn't understand it. It was like, you know, this is started from early season in theory, everything's getting better. They're getting more vocal. And like, we would have like perfect setups. Like, I mean, like Corey Jacobson style, like digital, <laughs> like digital example, like, dude, this is, this is going to happen. You know, sounds were good set up. I mean, like we probably had over 20 bulls within 60 yards, you know? And wow. it was like, and you, we would just start calling and they would just like respond, look at us and just walk away. And we're just like, we just put our hands in there. We're like, I, I could like, was that bull even callable? Like, what did we do wrong? Like the wind's good, you know, yeah. callers like, not seen like it was baffling and there was four of us out there hunting and i mean i say the all three guys are more experienced than i am you know very prevalent on the forums and all that like both side and whatnot and like same thing they were just like dude i have no clue what's going on one guy i think he he hunted 28 days and ended up just being like yeah no nah, I'm, I'm done i'm going home you know and that guy hasn't i don't think he's not tagged out in a long time you know so it was a weird year but yeah i definitely definitely would say just like hey if you get a chance and you think it's you know worth doing, just take it. You know, don't hold out. I mean, sometimes you're going to be hunting the entire time. Sometimes you might kill something on the second day, and you know your hunt might be a little bit shorter, but you can still get out in the field and practice calling them in and enjoy the the outdoors. Awesome, man. Appreciate the time. This is uh, this is gonna be helpful for a lot, a lot of guys. Gives guys uh, some things to think about that some haven't for sure and then for other guys who they've just kind of informally had like this loose nonverbal or verbal communication it's going to help them kind of like refine that and be more effective so thanks for putting it together and sharing the time yeah i mean it's like a hunting partner can be like a wife sometimes you know you, you got to be able to communicate clearly and everything is going to be a lot better <laughs> Well, hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I'm personally excited for some of the takeaways uh, that I got from this one. And I'm sure if you hunt elk or will be hunting elk in any type of group or partner environment, this episode will be helpful for you as well. As always, if you're enjoying the show, would you consider taking just a minute to leave a rating or review in whatever podcast app that you're using that would help us tremendously? And if there's anything we can help you with directly, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Or if you have a question for us for the show, you can also look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. Do that and we'll talk to you soon.